0: Welcome to the Compete Every Day podcast, a weekly show to help you harness the power of competition to be better than yesterday. Hear each week from performance leaders, coaches, and experts on the benefits of competition and how you can use it to win at work and in life. And now, your host, Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day, Jake Thompson. What's
1: up and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Compete Every Day podcast. I am excited you're here for yet another week where we dive into what makes competitors great. How can you be a great competitor in life? This week I'm excited to welcome to the show Kip Watson. Now Kip Watson, if you haven't heard of this lady, she has one incredible story. She has a seminary degree, she was a competitive gymnast, oh, and I almost forgot, in her 40s she played professional women's tackle football and earned a championship ring in 2008 as a safety with the women's Dallas team. Kip now spends her time as a sports psychologist, helping people with her company Corp, helping athletes become stronger and more resilient on the mental side of the game. It's a great episode as we dive into what makes athletes tick. And most importantly, what are those things that you learn in sports and competition that translate into life? Where's the disconnect? Why do we as athletes and former athletes know so much about the work on the field, but yet those same skill sets we tend to forget when we step off the field? Yet it's those same things, those same mindset, those same skills, those same habits that make us as successful off the field as it does on. I'm excited you're going to get to hear the brand new episode, hear Kip's wisdom and learn a little bit more about the work she's doing so you can apply it to your life this week. As always, it always helps the show. If you could do us a favor, leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people discover the show. And finally, as always, if you want to get in touch with the show, drop us an email to podcast at com. We're always on the lookout for more guests for the show. Or if you have a topic idea, if you have something you want us to dive into in our weekly Tuesday show or on our Friday Speedwork sessions, let us know. We're here to serve you. We're here to help you become a better competitor by providing you not only motivation, but resources and information that you can apply to your everyday life. Without further ado, let's get on with the show this week and welcome Kip Watson. Kip, welcome to the show this week.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: We uh, we are going to conquer technical difficulties that we sounds like we've both had today uh, yeah. to rock and roll on a uh, on a good afternoon. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into the subject that we both love so much.
2: Yeah, well, um, I I probably have perhaps a, a, a unique combination of things about me. I am a, I'm a former tackle football player with a seminary degree. I don't know that there's too many people with that combination, but, but I have that combination played women's tackle football for Dallas. I have a seminary degree from uh, Dallas theological seminary in counseling psychology. I also have a master's degree in sports and exercise psychology I'm a mom of two awesome kids. And as I was raising them, I created and built my company, Neurosport Performance Academy. And, and so my my absolute love in life is working with uh, athletes at all levels, all ages. And really, I God, I've been blessed to work with athletes in a variety of sports. So that's a little bit about me.
1: So you can bust some heads and then bless them afterwards. Exactly, sounds.
2: right? Yeah. Well, you know yeah. what's so funny about that is I do say I have a, I have a gentle confrontation approach. <laughs> but yes, I can be very direct or, you know, when the moment is more of a gentle confrontation, I can do
1: that too. Let's, uh, so let's backtrack a little bit. What led you down the road to tackle football and, and playing professionally here in Dallas?
2: Well, when I was five years old, my dad, who at the time was a professor at the Ohio State University, (laughs) took me to my first football game. And you know, when you're five and you enter the horseshoe, I mean, even as an adult, there's just this aura of energy that is inexplicable but at five years old, I was absolutely mesmerized. And I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, dad, let me play football. But back then, so that you're talking about like the early seventies, so I'm kind of dating myself a little bit here, but you know, they didn't let women do that. So, um, you know, I go about my life and I grew up a competitive gymnast, but my parents were really good. And that, they let me try a variety of sports until I really found the one that, that I really connected with and was my passion. But I would say I always had this hidden desire <laughs> to play football. And I always have followed football, both at the collegiate level and the NFL level as I was growing up. And then in my 40s, I had a random encounter with one of the Dallas players and it was two weeks before an open tryout. So I just showed up uh, thinking that, you know, due to my age, they'd probably dismiss me, but they didn't. And so I made it through that, got invited to mini camp, made it through that, made it through hell day and ended up playing. And it was an incredible experience.
1: Now what, uh, if, if any differences in the game, uh, from the Women's Tackle League, did you have then say, a NCAA men's collegiate game?
2: Well, I, I think there's some of just the physical strength and speed differences, which you would expect between, you know, men and women. But I'll tell you what, um, you know, <laughs> I got blindsided on one occasion and, man, that, that hit was really hard, and definitely we played the game just like the guys
1: do. Um,
2: so and in standard
1: NFL-type yeah, rules, it's not yeah. like arena, it wasn't like Canadian. No. Okay,
2: right. Same, same NFL rules. It was a little bit of a hybrid between NFL and NCAA rules, but, you know, 100-yard field, full pads. Um, you got to tackle the same way. You got to hit the same way. You got to punt the same way. You got to run the same way. Um, you know, we we, you know, draw up plays the same way offensively and defensively. And um, so it's real it was really pretty much the same.
1: What did you learn most from that experience about yourself?
2: That is a great question. Um, I think for me, given what I experienced as uh in my gymnastics career, um, playing football was kind of a redemption for me because when I was younger in my high school aged years, I really let fear get a hold of me. And gymnastics, like football is not a sport where you can allow fear to enter into when you're competing, when you're playing because it will cause you to hesitate. And if you hesitate in either sport, you're going to get really hurt. And so I I really found that playing football It kind of, for me, was a redemption of overcoming fears, overcoming um, confidence issues along that way. And of course, I had learned a ton, right? That's why I do what I do and why I, in some ways, created what I created with Neurosport is to help those athletes develop mental and life skills that don't just apply to what they do, you know, on the field, on the court, in the pool, in the gym, but they apply to real life and real life situations.
1: So after your career, uh, you're playing career ended, is that when you started your company or were you starting it throughout the entire process?
2: Um, I had started it about nine years before I played. Okay. Um, and so, but I will definitely say, p- say that after playing, um, it, it Mm, it really put me more in the forefront of um, some athletes and coaches and teams and trainers and stuff like that. Um, It's established some credibility that perhaps wasn't there before, but now um, I did due to that experience.
1: I love that. And Some people might look at when they first hear about you after you've played as if you've become this overnight success success story, not understanding that you had been running and building and learning and growing all throughout the last nine years. right? And then when the opportunity to play presented itself, you seize that opportunity as well as an additional platform for you to share the story of of your work. Let's talk about your work because I'm fascinated by the mental aspect of the game and and the importance of not only what sports and competition do for us in that moment, but what they do for us in the rest of our lives. I mean, you right. just made the comment about, you know, fear and hesitation. And yeah. a lot of times away from sport, that's the reason people actually never pursue starting their own business or pursue uh, that big goal. They're stuck yeah. standing at the starting line.
2: Yeah. And then what? they end up, they end up living a life of regret.
1: Yeah. And it's huge. Cause that's the number one. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that with the athletes uh, right now that you work with is your number one goal getting them. And I know this is going to vary athlete to athlete. So we'll say predominantly what you see most. Do what you see most in athletes today still that fear or do you see a new direction of something that more and more athletes are instantly across the board?
2: Um. Well, just about six months ago, I did a survey of all my current clientele. And the number one issue for why they came to see me was related to confidence. So that, so that, you know, what's tied in that family, if I'm lacking confidence, is a, is a doubt. Uh, I don't believe in myself. Expectations are off. And then, yes, that usually leads to anxiety, which is a form of fear.
1: And in sports, a lot of the times you would assume you build confidence by winning, whether you're winning a shooting contest in practice. How do you work with athletes to develop confidence outside of just the game and in that moment when they're playing? Because they're not always going to be able to control what that final scoreboard says. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't have confidence in their abilities and their continued growth.
2: Well, you just hit on something I think is is very interesting because yes, a lot of people mistakenly tie their confidence to the outcome. So the outcome, whether that for a swimmer, it's a drop in time, for a gymnast, it's a score. For, you know, team sports, it, it is a score. Was our score better than theirs? So it's very focused on outcome. And in most sports, Any single athlete does not control all aspects of what that outcome is. I mean, certainly more in the individual sports they do, but in team sports, like you said, they typically don't. And so that's where we have to go to work on defining confidence. What do we define that as? And really the best definition that I've heard that I absolutely love is Brendan Burchard's definition. He says, it's my ability to figure things out. So there's that element that I may not have all the answers. I may not know. I may have to work at it to get better. And so I often tie confidence. It's not a feeling. It is a belief that's based on your expectations. And usually if I have an athlete who say dropped out of the, what I call the stability zone or the confident zone, the success zone. It's usually because something is off in their expectations or that belief system. So confidence is very much tied to my belief in myself to do what I'm asking my body or whatever to do.
1: And what are some just small things daily that you you try to have those individuals focus on to slowly build that up?
2: Um, I give them three things to focus on that they have in their control 100% of the time. And so what those things are is uh, the first thing is effort or their ability to work hard. The second thing is learning and improving. And then the third thing is bouncing back from mistakes. Those really are the three things any one of us has control over. Um, We don't necessarily have control over the outcome or the result, but we do have control over those things. And and that is more like one term that's bouncing around a lot in the sports world and the education world is growth mindset. And that's what keeps us improving, not talent. Not necessarily, you know, what you've been handed as far as physical ability, but am I working hard? Is my effort focused? And then I I help athletes, you know, there's really four areas that they can evaluate themselves to figure out, well, where do I got to place my effort? Where do I need to learn? And so those four areas are their physical, then the technical aspect, the tactical aspect of their sport. And then the mental aspect of their sport
1: that's fascinating i I love that because that first piece and those that growth mindset is is like you mentioned it's something that's become quite prevalent in a lot of discussions these days whereas right before that personal development was more on kind of the outside people looked at it a little leery like you had the group that was focused on, you know, listening to those audio tapes and, and figuring out ways they could grow and develop and get better while it wasn't as accepted mainstream. And I feel like more and more it's becoming mainstream because we've seen the elasticity in, in the brain in, right. in terms of the right. ability to learn and grow and develop. Right. Um,
2: yeah, we what? know so much more about the brain than we used to. And that 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 what you that neuroplasticity of the brain means we we always, regardless of our age, have the ability to improve and change.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you on that same note, because one of the things that I I love to do with this show is talking to individuals that are also parents. And Uh you you mentioned being a mom. And so you shared a little bit about your experience growing up. And so 10 years from now, 15 years from now, your kids are looking back at at when they were younger and, and being involved in sports Besides the fact that you loved and supported them, what is one thing that you want sports or competition to teach them so that they're better mm-hmm. equipped later in life?
2: Wow. Um, I would say, you know, each one, they're, God, both my kids are wired so differently. Um, <laughs> and I definitely, as they were growing up, they're 19 and 17 now. Um, I definitely hope that 10 to 15 years from now they realize that their effectiveness didn't really come from focusing on the things that were automatic or their natural talent but it came from consciously doing those things um, that challenged them that were hard that they had to figure out how to do it and you know for my son even I was just telling this story to somebody, um, yesterday. I mean, I remember when he was eight and he wanted to go buy a sandwich in the airport. And I was like, sure, here's the money, go get it. Like, and he got terrified. He didn't want to have to go there by himself. And I, and I was like, well, I'm not going to go get it. If you're hungry, you go get it. Right. You can look up on the board. You can order yourself. You can do it. He stewed for like 10 minutes. And then he went and did it all by himself, right? And it's even that little simple thing that I think throughout their life, I've been very deliberate when those kinds of things popped up is they got to learn how to overcome. They got to learn how to suffer and overcome because that's really kind of reality. We're going to have challenges, trials, problems, things we got to figure out. And then do I believe in myself to figure it out? And I hope that's what, (laughs) I hope that's what, you know, 10 to 15 years from now, sports and life gives them that opportunity to do that so that they're effective as adults themselves and their jobs and as parents.
1: Well, and also the, the culture of the participation trophy robs of that ability to learn that.
2: Absolutely. It absolutely does. You get a trophy for just showing up. And I. I really despise that. I think I think we've we've seen now. Well, one of the workshops I do is coddling of the American mind. And I think we've coddled the last couple of generations where there really, you know, there is a pervasive anxiety and depression um issue in our culture when really those are normal feelings that people experience when things happen. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. And then we got to figure out, well, what is that anxiety reflective of? Maybe we got to change our belief system. Maybe we got to change something we're doing. And that's what we got to take a look at. Not feeding them medication and then doing things for them.
1: I love that because if, if we coddle them too much, then adversity would break them as adults.
2: Right. And we can't have that, but that's kind of what I'm seeing even in some of my adult clients. It's, you know, I'll ask them like the first time we sit down, I'll ask, all right, tell me about an adversity that you've gone through and then tell me how you overcame it. And I'm stunned at how many teenagers and young adults don't have an example for me. And I'm like, red flag, that is going to eat you alive, right? If you want to play at the next level, that's going to be a problem. If you don't know how to overcome adversity.
1: Yeah, because I mean, at that point, if we're not used to taking on adversity and enduring that process, strengthening ourselves, going through it, then the rest of our lives, it's going to be the easy decision to quit when things get hard. And and there's right. so many areas of your career, of, of relationships, of things that sports oh, don't even right. impact. Right. Where, you're, you walk away when things get difficult instead of finding that strength to continue to work through it and, and persevere because 10 years from now, you're going to look back and be glad you stuck with it and worked through it because of who it made you as an individual versus what if I hadn't quit?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Great point.
1: All right. So right. what are the, who are the type of pe- people that are your ideal clients that who you really work with?
2: Hmm. Well, um, I would say you know my sweet spot is really the um, the high school athlete aiming for college, and then college aiming for a pro level. Um, Although I do have you know major major league baseball players and NFL players and NHL players, um, but um, I love working with that young mind maybe that has never had to you know, learn certain mental or life skills and they're really trying to play or perform at a high level and they're going to need that.
1: I love that. I, I love that audience because there's, there's definitely a need and sometimes growing up, we're not quite introduced to certain situations. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for kids in well-to-do families and kids growing up playing certain sports, a lot of times in certain towns and cities, you're the best athlete and you've right. never had to, right. to to work hard at it, to be honest. And there's always kids that are going to work their hardest and, and do that. But sometimes you're not prepared for that adversity going into college, going into the professional world. And so having a neutral party to talk to and work with, prepares you for that which in turn prepares you for life after the sport it's inevitable we talk to any athlete at one day or another you have to walk away from the game or are you prepared for life at that point
2: right right and and what i do with every single one of my athletes is i i take them through a very simple three step process but what it is designed to do is really use the word prepares to prepare predict and prevent when they struggle and they get a very clear roadmap of what those issues could be it might be anxiety and confidence it might be leadership it might be more serious issues like relationship and communication issues addiction adultery depression and so you need to know how you're innately mentally wired so that we can go to work you know developing any of those skills depending on what your goals are and often depending on your position within your sport because different positions, especially like in football and baseball, require a different mental wiring. And so this becomes, it becomes the framework for for self-understanding and then we can build upon that with the the life skills, the mental skills we've been talking about here um, based on what we find.
1: I love that. All right, Kip, if if people listening to the show want to learn more, want to get connected with you and and learn more about the work you're doing, or perhaps they themselves or or their children or their friends uh, may make sense to come talk to you and and look at developing more of that mental grit, tenacity, resilience, strengthening themselves for what life has in store, where are the best ways for them to connect with you?
2: Um the best way is probably going to my website which is brain b r a i n code c o d e corp c o r p braincodecorp.com and you can sign up for my newsletter and you can get a hold of me there with the email phone number and then also social media um on most of the social media formats um you can find me at kipfit k i p f i t
1: I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you incredibly for joining us on this week's show. I think this was full of great insight into the mental side of competition and sports. And most importantly, why we need to stick with things, why we need to work through adversity in order to overcome it so that we're continually strengthened and ready for whatever waits us ahead.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the compete everyday podcast to learn more visit CompeteEveryday.com. to connect with jake or contact the show email us at podcast at compete and as always keep competing every day to be better than you were yesterday